Reward us who wait and trust in you. Shema, O Heavenly Father, hear this prayer on behalf of your people at Bet Yeshurun, and let all who are on earth come to know that you are the Elohim of all ages. Indeed, we come to praise you for whatever you deem us worthy of learning. We come with gratitude for your wisdom, which is all-powerful, all-seeing, holy, and beneficent. We come to understand the phrases and mysteries that our ancestors desired to learn, but never completely understood. And bless our pastor Obadiah, whom you chose to be your servant to share these phrases and mysteries as found in your word. May he be the instrument through whom you place your seed upon these our earthly bodies. And may Bet Yeshurun enable your seed to take root, to sprout, to bear much spiritual fruit, as we find mercy and grace through your beloved son Yahushua, our Redeemer and King, in whose name we diligently pray this Sabbath. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to say a short personal prayer as well before getting started. Heavenly Abba, Yahuwah Elohim, creator of heavens and earth, to you and you only I direct this prayer. Father, I just pray that this day you send your real Kakodesh my way. Even at this very moment, send them within me to abide as I strive to lead and guide your flock into the green pastures of your word. Causing them to bring to memory all the things I've heard during my study time with you and to filter my lips that nothing escapes them except that which is good and true. Therefore, from the lesson this day, Father, I do pray that you allow your flock to feed freely. Not that they might be impressed with me, but that they may be blessed by thee. Only pray that you utilize me to illuminate the darkness with your words, light that it displaces any fright, that it strengthen their hands, that they might fight to enter into thine kingdom. Therefore, from me this day, Father, I do pray that you allow your light to shine extra bright. Again, not that they might see me, but that they may find you, the one in whom all glory and honor is due. Yahoo, my other king. I pray that you accept for me this day my offering in Yahushua's name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we're continuing on with our discipleship training. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to enter into the world of Scripture via poem. It says, Welcome to my world, a place where the natural eyes can't see, where your physical bodies can't be, where the last is first, the first is last, the end is told from the beginning, and when it appears as those one is losing, they're actually winning. Where trumpets are depicted as voices and the persecuted righteous don't complain but actually rejoices. Here swords and likened to the word and the demons of bird, the dead are yet alive, the living are actually dead, blood and flesh are even depicted as wine and bread. It's a place where in the humble are depicted as poor and the poorer one becomes, they're later found to be that much richer. I'm speaking of no other place than the Yasin world of scripture. So please turn off your phones, perk up your ears and get ready to listen. For real confidence is about to begin teaching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. So we are exploring the story of Israel. The journey continues. All right. So we're speaking about Israel, the story of Elohim's people. Don't you know that Yah only has one people upon the earth? There's many people that claim them, but there's only one people that he claims. Say la. And that is the peoples of Israel. You know, so do what you can to become a part of y'all's people. You know, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go back and see part one. You know, we done moved on to part two. Part two is all about year two. So this is year two, you know, after Yah has chosen his people out of Israel. 
Israel was Elohim's chosen people, the nation whose Elohim was Yahuwah. His unique, this unique, yeah, this unique status is not passed to America or any other earthly nation. Mm -hmm. The only nation that Yah is El over is Israel. Mm. You know, you have many people today that claim to be uh, Islamic nation or Christian nation. You know, but there's only one Yah's nation, and that is the nation of Israel. And they are scattered to the four corners mm. of the earth. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, these are Elohim's covenanted people that we're speaking of. Those who has entered into his covenant. Those whose forefathers had entered into his covenant. And so they have become Elohim's covenanted people. You know, and these are those in which Yah said, they shall be my people and I will be their Elohim. Now, it's a good barometer or test or, you know, thermostat to check whether or not you truly um, are Yah's people. Mm. And that is, if Yah is your Elohim. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, because he's only the El over Israel. So, if you don't find yourself doing what he said do, mm. then there's a good chance you're not his people. Mm. Say a lot. But for those of us that did covenant with him, that are his people, we have said all that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. Yeah. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, Yahshua even said when he came to the earth, you know, our Messiah, our, our, our Redeemer, our King, remember him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, when he came to the earth, he said, man shall not live by blood alone, by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of Elohim. Amen? Amen. You know, and so this is how we're to carry carry on. This is what we're to eat for life. That is the will, way, and purposes of Elohim. You know, so after covenanting with, um, with Elohim in the, in the wilderness, our wilderness experience continued on. You know, it continued on up until year two. You know, now, just so that you know, the wilderness experience speaks to life within a wilderness. And scripturally speaking, a wilderness is likened to a dry land of darkness. Mm. You know, and it is impossible to actually survive in this dry land of darkness except for Yah. Except for Yah, you know, without Yah, this wilderness is uninhabitable. But Yah, but Yah, He leads us. He is our light, you know, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. You know, there's no food out there, but He gives us food from heaven. Even His word, His will, way, and purposes. There's no, there's no water in that in this wilderness, but He gives us water from a rock. Even Yahshua, our Messiah. Amen. Amen. Isn't Yah good to us? Yes. He's truly good to us. Hallelujah. You know, this is a part of our wilderness experience. And you have to realize that while you're going through the wilderness experience, that you're in a dry land of darkness. So whenever you're in a situation where there's no water, you know, that speaks to, you know, you've been in a situation where the truth is scanty. You know, there's no truth. There's no counsel. You know, and... 
the darkness speaks to ignorance. You know, so we need Yah because He's the source of our light. He's the source of our of our food. He's the source of our drink. Whoa. I don't know. Clicker just clicked out on me. Just start running. You know, but <laughs> but it here it is. Uh, next thing he told us to do after coming with him is he told us, hey, look here, y'all. Y'all need to make a dwelling place for me. Because I don't just want to dwell amongst you. I want to dwell within you. Hallelujah. I like the sound of that. Y'all dwelling within me. You know, so he asks us to make him a dwelling place that he might dwell within us. You know, even as we see this tabernacle was in the midst of all the tents of Israel. If you came upon this tabernacle from the north, south, east, or west, all you would see would, would be these tents. And that's just a picture. The tents are a picture of the flesh of a man. You know, because Yah doesn't, he doesn't dwell, you know, on the flesh of a man. He dwells within the flesh of a man. Hence, he's in the center. Amen. You know, well, after we made a dwelling place for Yah, he takes a census, you know, and if you've made a sufficient dwelling place of him, you know, for him, then you, you become part of his membership, you know. You become a member of his nation, you know, and he writes you down in his book as a member, even his book of life. Amen. You know, so absolutely, you know, we want membership has its privileges. You know, we want to be we want to be members. And so once we become members, the next thing we see y'all doing is the arrangement. Which means, Pastor Obadiah, the arrangement. He begins to arrange us. See, you have to understand that when you're Yah's, Yah gets to put you wherever he wants to put you. You don't get to choose where you want to go. You may say, well, I don't, I don't like being a foot. <laughs> you know, I want to be a hand. So now you got Toes hanging out with the fingers, you know, and it's hard to walk that way, you know, so that's not going to work. You know, Yah instructs where everyone goes, you know, whether you're going to be in the east or west or north or the south. This is Yah's choosing. Amen. Amen. You know, whether you're going to be of the Levites or of the camp of Israel. You know, so, you know, you have to understand, Yah places his people where he wants them within his nation. He does the arranging. It's not by happenstance. It's in accordance to his will. You know, hence I say you can't put yourself wherever you want. It doesn't work that way. You know, you know, Judah may have wanted to be in the West, but... Y'all said, no, you got to be in the east. You know, so, so it is. You know, so, you know, be content that you're in the body yes. of Elohim. Be content that you make up the nation 
of Elohim, that you're a part of the makeup of, of Yah's people, that you're a part of his, that you're one of his children. Don't be so concerned about where you are. Just be concerned about getting in. Yeah. Amen? Amen. So, we went over that last week, so we're not going over it again, you know. But the next thing Yah begins to speak about is the adultery test. You know, so I want you to consider like what Yah is doing. So after he's covenanted with his people, you know, in year one, he, he, he got them all covenanted, covenanted up. He got them to make a dwelling place. Now he's within their midst. Amen. You know, now that he's within their, their midst, in year two, they set up his tabernacle. You know, that's what that's, that was the beginning of year two. They set up his tabernacle. He moves within their midst. You know, now he's dwelling within them. And the first thing he began to do is rearrange them. You know, so this is the same thing with, with you. You know, you know, once you've covenanted with Yah and once you've erected a tabernacle for Yah and once Yah done moved in and he done filled your tabernacle that you've erected with his glory, he will begin to arrange you. Okay? And now, the next thing that we read about after the arrangement is the adultery test. Hmm. And so, essentially, you know, it's found in Numbers 5, 11 through the end of the chapter. Let me have my first reader read Numbers 5, 11 through 17, please. And Yahuwah spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside, and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, and be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she be defiled, and there be no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. Then shall the man bring his wife unto the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense therein, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. And the priest shall bring her near and set her before Yahuwah. And the priest shall take the holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. Hallelujah. Let me have my next reader read verses 18 through 23, please. And the priest shall set the woman before Yahuwah and uncover the woman's head, and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is jealous which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath, and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from his bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband. Then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, Yahuwah make thee a curse, and an oath among thy people. And Yahuwah doth make thy, thy thigh to rot, 
and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels, to make thy belly to swell, and thy, and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. Hallelujah. Okay, so this is all about a woman making a trespass against her husband, you know, in a um, sense of adultery or him, he believing that she has anyway. You know, whether she has or hasn't, you know. Um, and so the priest shall take the in his hand the bitter water that causes the curse, you know. And he, he says, be thou free from this bitter water that causes the curse. But if thou have gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled and some man have lain with thee besides thy husband, you know, then he says, Yahuwah doeth make thy thy to rot and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels, thy bowels, and make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And I'm going to next read verses 25 through 31. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before Yahuwah and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take an handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar. And afterward shall cause the woman to drink the water. And when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and, call, and become bitter. And her belly shall swell and her thigh shall rot. And the woman shall have, the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousy: when a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled, or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him, and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before Yahuwah, and the priest shall execute upon her all this law. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and this woman shall bear her iniquity. Alright. Alright, this is uh, this is the discipleship course. So, I have a question. What is this pertaining to? The priesthood. The priesthood, absolutely. Very good. You know, this is pertaining to the priesthood. You know, now, mm, I have to jump uh, jump ahead to, to show you the, the significance of it. Um, Y'all doesn't do anything differently. What he's done is what he's doing. You know, He made a man from the dust of the earth. Amen? This man's name was Yahshua. He put this man to sleep. And he sleeps still now, in a sense. And while he was sleeping, he took from out of him 
a woman <clears throat> to be a help meet unto him. You know, now, if he believed this woman was unfaithful, He's going to cause her to drink of this bitter water that causes the curse. And if she has been unfaithful, then this woman is going to become, her belly is going to swell. The water is going to become bitter. Her belly is going to swell and her thigh is going to rot. Now, when her thigh rots, it's going to cause her to walk funny. She's not going to be able to walk right. And as a result, she's going to become barren. But the woman who has not defiled herself. That is, the bride that would be true, they will go on and conceive seed. They will become fruitful. You know, so this is a picture of the bride, you know, the ones that will be cursed and the ones that will be blessed. The ones that will be blessed and received will conceive. They will become fruitful. The ones who have been fornicating or committed adultery, they will become barren. You know, their belly will swell and their thighs shall rot. You know, and so this is a picture of, you know, a concept that's going to take place in the end. You know, with so many people who claim to be the bride of Yahshua, but do, but do nothing that he says do. Who don't keep themselves clean nor holy. Who have become defiled. You know, I pray you can see that. You know, now... Essentially, for those who do that, this is what will cause you to be driven away from Yah. This is what will cause Yah to, to leave from you. You know, if he's within your midst and you do something like this, he will leave. Mm -hmm. And you will be without Yah. He will no longer dwell in your tabernacle. Hence, there will be no life within your tabernacle. But when he dwells within your tabernacle, there will be life, hence you will conceive and bring forth seed. You know, life begets life. And death begets death. So after Yah tells us about what would drive him away from us, he then began to teach us in chapter 6, Concerning the Nazarite vow, he began to teach us what will cause him to come near unto us. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, so 
you know, I'm, I'm making this this point and I'm stressing this so that you can see that it's not arbitrary the order of events. The order of, order of events are not arbitrary. They're not by happenstance. They have a theme to, to them. You know, so, you know, Yah is, you know, he arranges his people and then he's, now he's teaching them, you know, what will cause him to be driven away and he's about to teach what will cause him to draw near unto you. So if you want to drive him away, all you got to do is commit fornication. He gone. But if you want to draw near unto him, then just hold on. We're about to get into it. Because so many people, including myself, you know, at one time, you know, I was trying to do everything I could to draw near. And I, you know, I fasted for 40 days. I, you know, I stayed in this word day in and day out. I was constantly in prayer and, and praise unto him. And I'm, and I'm thinking like, you know, that is, you know, it's going to get him, get him, um, get me near to him. You know, I'm like, okay, I know, you know, that's, that's it. But in all actuality, the scriptural way of drawing near to him is found right here in number six concerning the Nazarite vow. It starts off with number six, verses one and two. It says, and Yahuwah spake unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either a man or woman, doesn't matter, male or female, when either a man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto Yahuwah. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dry. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husk. Mm -hmm. You know, now, this is like a, slide that I changed that didn't get changed hmm. but anyhow we're going to roll with it. it says <clears throat> so hereby we see that abstaining from the vine was crucial to the Nazarite vow and, and rightfully so for scripture teaches us concerning the true vine but before we get into that you know I want to define some things you know so it tells us you know first of all the Nazarite vow is for, for who men or women both, absolutely. It's for both, men or women. You know, first he says they should separate themselves. You know, it's so it's for a man or a woman when they should separate themselves. What what does it mean separate themselves? It, this word separate is pala, number sixty three eighty one. It means to be marvelous. Who wanna be marvelous unto Yah? Hallelujah. It means wonderful. Surpassing. Who want to surpass the next person? <laughs> Who want to get closer than the next person to y'all? It speaks to the extraordinary. Hallelujah. I like that one. So, when you take a Nazarite vow, 
you're vowing to become marvelous, wonderful, surpassing, to become extraordinary amongst your peers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thought that was pretty good. You know, now, it says to vow a vow of a Nazarite. So what is a Nazarite? Nazarite comes from the word Nazir, number 5139, and it means a consecrated one or a devoted one. <clears throat> you know, I was fasting thinking I was devoting myself to Yah. But this, you know, I was fasting thinking I was consecrating myself unto Yah. But I wasn't. This is how you consecrate yourself to Yah. This is how you devote yourself to Yah. It's by becoming a Nazir, a Nazarite, a consecrated one, a devoted one. You know, and you become a Nazarite to separate yourself unto Yahuwah. Now, I know you would think that this word separate is the same as this word separate, but it is not. Hmm. You know, so the first separate is Pala. The second separate is Nazar, number 5144, meaning to dedicate, consecrate, or devote. You know, and so here it is. You know, we're about to be given, you know, the recipe to dedicate ourselves, consecrate ourselves, devote ourselves to Yah, that we might become marvelous in his eyes, wonderful, surpassing others, extraordinary. Hallelujah. You know, um, verses 6, um, 3 and 4 goes on to say, And he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine nor vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, eat moist um, grapes or dry. You know, so essentially, you know, you got to stay away from everything concerning the vine. The vine, everything from the seed to the husk. You know, nothing. You can't mess with nothing. Dried, moist, you know, um, you know, the liquor of, of grapes, you know, grape juice, none of it. You know, and when you consider what scripture says about the true vine, you understand why. Let me have my next reader read Yochanan 15, 1 through 9. I am the true vine, and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my Oh, love. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, so, you know, Scripture, now I want you to see, the Scripture teaches us that the Nazarite 
is to abstain from anything that has to do with the vine. Scripture also teaches us what the true vine is. The true vine isn't that which you, which those grapes in the supermarket came from. Yes, that is a vine. That's not the true vine, though. The true vine is Yahshua. The true branches are his disciples. The true fruit are the fruit of the Ruach. Amen? And just who are they that drinks the wine made from such grapes as these? Who are they who take this fruit and trample it underfoot? Covenant. The heathen, absolutely. You know, who would dare do these things to this true vine? To Yahshua and his disciples. Well, it's found in Revelations. We read 17, 1 through 6. It says, and there, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me. Saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Mm -hmm. And upon her head was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. And abominations of the earth. And I saw the women, I saw the woman, I'm sorry, drunken with the blood of the saints. Now we know the saints are the grapes, they're the branches with the grapes. The blood of the saints speaks to the wine. And the blood of the martyrs of Yahushua. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So I pray that ye can see from this that the kings of the earth in conjunction with the great whore of Babylon have been made drunk with the wine made from the blood of the martyrs of Yahushua. That is from the true vine. From Yahshua and his disciples. But during this time, the Nazarites will be saved. They'll be saved via their vow. Because the Nazarites, they vow not to partake of the vine. So any Nazarites that exist during that time, we don't have to worry about them drinking the blood of the martyrs of Yahushua. Because they will abstain from the vine. Hence they were called Nazarenes. Now, you're seeing some commentaries and then some Bible dictionaries, they say that that word has nothing to do with Nazarite. I beg to differ. Mm. You know, even if it's just phonetically, it does bear significance. That's not by happenstance. You know, but the Nazarites, they will be saved via their vow. They will not partake of the blood of the saints. They will not 
partake of the blood of the martyrs of Yahushua. And so it's a picture, you know, of a surefire way for you not to fall for the okie doke. Mm. Now, number six, four also spoke, spoke of some separation. It says, all the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made from the vine tree. Now, I know you're not going to believe it, but this word separation is different too. Mm. <laughs> it so happens to be yet another word translated as separation. And this is Nazare, number 5145. And this word speaks to a crown. Mm. And only within Numbers chapter 6, you know, is it translated other than a crown, something other than a crown. And I think one other place, maybe in, is it Jeremiah or somewhere, it's translated as hair, you know. But essentially, you know, it's translated as crown. You know, this is what this word means, and, and it's clear from its usage in other scriptures. You know, and the reason I stress this is because it's an important aspect needed to see the picture Yah is painting concerning the Nazarites. It's seen, this picture is seen in, in what a crown denotes. And a crown denotes, and what a crown denotes is, which is Yah's, um, is, is Yah's power and dignity. So that's what a crown denotes. You know, when you think of a crown, think of Yah's power and dignity. You know, um, consider Exodus 29, 6, which is the first time that this word is utilized. It says, and thou shalt put the mitre upon his head. So there's no, no mistaking what we're talking about. You know, this is the, the mitre that goes upon the head that was part of the priestly garment. And it said, and put the holy crown upon the mitre. Now, the holy crown was the gold crown that said holiness unto Yahuwah. And it went on top of the mitre that went on top of the head. Amen? Mm -hmm. You know, and so this is a picture of Yah's holy power and dignity being set upon the head of his high priest. Which makes sense because judgment was given unto them. So he truly was in a seat of power and dignity. Also consider Exodus 39, 30, which speaks to the same thing. It says, and they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote upon it in a writing like to the engravings of a signet, holiness to Yahuwah. And also again, it speaks to a crown. Consider um, 2 Chronicles 23, 11, it says, then they brought out the king's son and put upon him the crown and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Yahiada and his sons anointed him and said, Elohim saved the king. And so again, we see the crown, that is Yah's power and dignity being put upon a man to make him king. You know, and so the kings were <clears throat> examples of Yah's power and dignity. Also, consider 2 Samuel 1.10. It says, So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown, the power and the dignity of Yah that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought them hither unto my Lord. You know, so 
I believe like this is really the key to understanding, you know, um, if the form, the fullness of what this passage is saying is to recognize that this Nazir speaks to a crown, it speaks to the power and the um, dignity of Elohim. Verse five through seven goes on to say, all the days of the vow of his separation, and this word separation is Nazir, all the days of the vow of his crown, of his power and dignity from Yah, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separateth himself. And this is Nazar, number 5144. Till he separateth himself unto Yahuwah, he shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. And all the days that he separateth himself unto Yahuwah, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his um, brother or for his sister when they die because the consecration, the crown of Elohim is upon his head. The power and dignity of Elohim is upon his head. You know, um, let me have my next reader read Judges 16, 5 through 17, speaking concerning was probably the most famous of Nazarites in scripture. And he said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thy heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with the words, and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There has not come a razor upon my head, for I love, for I have been a Nazarite unto Elohim from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will be gone, will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like and of any other man. Okay, so again, this is the story of Samson and Delilah. So he finally gives in to Delilah, and he lets her know, I've been a Nazarite unto Elohim from my mother's womb. You know, and he says, my, my strength is in, is in my hair. You know, if I be shaven, my strength will go from me. You know, so now that you understand that the hair growing during the Nazarite vow, the hair that grows during the Nazarite vow denote Yah's crown. That is, it denotes Yah's power and dignity upon one's life. It should now be clear as to why when Samson's hair, that is when his crown was cut off, Yah's power and dignity was also cut off. Can you see that? You know, so he no longer had Yah's power because he no longer had Yah's crown. So when one was cut off, the other was cut off. You know, so I think that makes it things pretty clear. Verses 6 through 8 goes on to say, All the days of his separation, that is, Nazar, all the days of his crown, he is holy unto Yahuwah. Can you see it? It's because of the crown. It's because of what's 
upon his head during his vow. What comes upon his head during his vow. This is what's being denoted um, or likened unto a crown. It's the hair that grow from the time you make the vow to the time that you cut it off. That is becomes the crown that causes you to be holy unto Yahuwah. So all the days of your crown, you'll be holy. And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he have defiled his, the head of his crown, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. And on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves of two pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. You know, and so um, this is the cleansing process. You know, and it was no different than, you know, what Yah had taught the priest. When we look in Leviticus 15, 13, and 14, it says, And when he that have an issue is cleansed of his issue, then he shall number to himself seven days for his cleansing. You know, and wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in running water, and shall be clean. And likewise, on the eighth day, he shall take to him two turtle doves or young pigeons, and come before Yahuwah unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Can you see? It's the same thing. You know, that's the cleansing process. Verse 11 goes on to say, And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, and make an atonement for him, for that he sinned by the dead, for... For that he sinned by the dead and shall hollow his head that same day. You know, and so this is, you know, the cleansing process and how uh, he's to start over. Verse 12 goes on to say, And he shall consecrate unto Yahuwah the days of his separation or the days of his crown. And shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his, his crown was defiled. So if the crown get defiled, he cut it off. And then you have to start over. So verses 11 and 12 shows how we're to start over. By first getting atoned via a sin offering um, for falling short. You know, so you have to give up a sin offering because it's a trespass. And secondly, by offering a burnt offering. You know, and burnt offering, you know, speaks to giving yourself wholly unto Yah. And thirdly, by offering a trespass offering for retribution, now that you've trespassed, now you have to make it right with Yah. So you have to give an offering. You know, and we went over a trespass offering not too long ago, so that should still be fresh in your mind. You know, let me have my next reading read verses 13 through 16. In this law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation crowned are fulfilled, he shall be brought unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall offer his offering unto Yahuwah, one he lamb of the first year without blemish, for a burnt offering, and one your lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, and one ram without blemish for a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mi mingled with oil, and waves of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering, and their drink offerings. And the priest 
shall bring them before Yahuwah and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. Hallelujah. You know, so you give up a burnt offering, a sin offering, and a peace offering. You know, verse 17 goes on saying, He shall offer the ram for a sacrifice, a peace offering unto Yahuwah with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. Now this ram was offered for um, that was offered for peace was a type of Yahshua. The unleavened bread symbolized Yah's um, written word. The meat and drink often speaks to one entering into covenant with it. You know, we have uh, Romans 5.10, you know, that shows that Yahshua says um, 5.10 was a type of peace offering. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to Elohim by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. You know, and so we see that where there may be contention between us and the father, the death of the son, you know, that lamb of Elohim, you know, that ram of Elohim, if you would, you know, becomes our peace offering that reconciles us. You know, also Matthew Yahoo 19, 16 and 17 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is Elohim. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he was speaking about the Ten Commandments. He was speaking about Torah, you know. And this is that basket of unleavened bread that's been sp spoken of here in number 617. And then the meat offering and the drink offering, you know, speaks to in the covenant with Yahshua. Mm -hmm. You know, Matthew Yahu 26, 26 through 28 says, And as they were eating, Yahshua took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You know, and so, you know, we just see a picture of salvation. You know, Via Yahshua, you know, within the offerings that the Nazarite offers. Let me have my next reader read verses 18 through 21. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation crown at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall take the hair of the head and of his separation and put it in the fire which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before Yahuwah this is holy for the priest with the wave breast and heave shoulder and after the nap after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite, who hath vowed and of this, his uh, and of his offering unto Yahuwah for his separation crown. Beside that, that his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed. So he must do after the law of his separation crown. All right. As for uh, aforementioned, the ram 
you know, speaks to Yahshua. Uh, the sight and shoulders speaks to um, his fiery baptism. The unleavened bread uh, to Torah and the unleavened wafer to Yahshua's commands upon the hands. The hands speaks to the works. So, you know, this is the works that the Nazarite supposed to have, you know, even after he, uh, he has shaved and, and continues on. Um, only after the hair is shaven, you know, just showing that, you know, after the hair is shaven, he's to continue on to do these things, you know, and the hair is burnt under the peace offering, showing that, you know, Yahshua is over him. You know, let us not forget to take note of the priest's job in all this because there is the intercessor, you know, the priest is the intercessor. He's the go-between between Yah and men. You know, the wave um, breast and the heave shoulder speaks of his righteousness that was way before Yah, you know, and when we begin to, you know, walk in that righteousness, you know, we begin to wave it before Yah as well, you know, and uh, that we might know the way to eternal um, eternal life. So it's to be waved so that uh, um, before the Father and before men so that everyone might know the way to eternal life. So if, if they don't know, but they know you, and you're a light, then they can follow you into eternal light. <clears throat> they can just follow the light that you emit. This is why Yahshua said, you know, hey, you know, I go away, but now ye are the lights of the world. When he first came, he said, I'm the light of the world. Mm -hmm. But then when he was getting ready to leave, he said, ye are the lights of the world, speaking to his disciples. You know, so we're, we're supposed to be lights. You know, someone's supposed to be able to walk like we walk and talk like we talk and get into the kingdom because they're following us. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be lights. We're supposed to be those examples. We're supposed to be those that will lead into the kingdom. I want you to consider that, you know, Yahshua was the Lamb of Elohim. He was also, he's also our great shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. So he's the great shepherd and he's the head lamb. You know, now, the lamb behind him can't see past the lamb in front of him. So no, no matter how long the procession is, the lamb in the back can't see no further than the lamb in front of him. The lamb in, in the, the, the lambs in the back, they can't see the shepherd way out ahead. They can just see the lambs in front of him. And this is why, you know, if, if one lamb you know, uh, walk off a cliff, the next one gonna walk right behind him. <laughs> and the next one. Right. And the next one. Mm -hmm. And the next one. This is why they need a shepherd. Right. Amen. Amen. You know, so I want you to just consider that picture because, you know, it, it teaches us. You know, because a lamb can only see as far as the lamb in front of him. So if you are the lamb in front of some, some, lamb, some lambs behind you, you have to consider what type of example are you setting? Right. Where are you leading them? <laughs> are you leading them to Yah? Or are you leading them off that cliff? All right. <clears throat> you know, and uh, lastly, it speaks about according to the vow which he vowed, so must he do after the law of his separation, the law of his crime. When you get to when you become um when you decide that you're going to make a Nazarite vow you get to set the terms of the vow 
you know, this is the basic setting. So this is the basic setting. This is the, this is, um, you know, you can't do a Nazarite vow without these implications. But you can certainly add to them. You know, so if you wanted to say, well, you know, during my vow, I'm not going to do this, that, or the other thing. You can certainly say that. But once you say it, that becomes a part of your vow. You know, and, and now, you know, that's a part of the law of your vow. You can't go against that. You follow me? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why it says, according to the vow which he vowed, 